1: Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about world views and world religions. And of course, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303 873 1935. 303 873 1935. And of course, producer Jim is uh, by the phones to take your call. He'll ask you uh, what your question is. You know, we've sort of set aside um, Tuesdays as a kind of tough question Tuesday. So this is hopefully an opportunity to explore some of the more difficult questions that people have. Now, I always have a caveat. I always have a disclaimer, the caveat and the disclaimer, hopefully prayerfully in all humility is I do not, I repeat, I do not know the answer to every question. I do not know the answer to every hard question. And so um, I reserve the right <laughs> to not know, but I also reserve the right to be curious about your question and and think about your question and consider your question. So by all means, if you ask me a question, it doesn't necessarily mean that I am going to know the answer of... Um, of all the questions that we have. And there are some very, very difficult questions. And I was literally reading, because I I try to read um, Jim Dennison's blog, if you will, every day. He usually has an article that he posts at christianheadlines.com. But sometimes it's also found in the Denison Forum. And I was looking at today's um, blog, and he's he's bringing up some really, really tough questions. 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. Um, this is great. I love getting your questions, Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. Jason, welcome to the program. Hello, Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Good. Hi, Gino. I've called Hi. you
2: before, and thank you for clarifying some things. Uh, my question is really um, uh, about the Bible. You mentioned it before, but I can't explain it to other people how we know that it's God's inspired word, and in which Bible, whether the Apocrypha is part of that or the Mormon extra chapters in the Bible, or um, how do we know which Bible to, to you know, tell, for instance... You know, people that I'm close to, that I'm trying to encourage.
1: Well, I guess I I would begin by trying to um, rephrase the question or think about the question a little bit differently. And here's what I mean by that. It all depends on what you mean by the Bible. What is the Bible? Now, obviously, right. we have a Bible, and it happens to be in English, and it is in a translation, but it comes from a Latin and a Greek word. So Bible and it, it is a Latin word, but it, it's a word that means book, and it's a fitting name because the Bible is a book of several different books collected over time and the way that I would think about it is what is it about this book that's different from every other book how is this book different from every other book that exists other books exist but this book consists of of a number of different books historical books poetic books prophetic books biographical books epistles Th- these are formal letters and and so the way that I would begin to think about that is I would say what is it about this book that's different from every other book? And the the way that I would answer it is the claims that it makes about itself, the content that it has, and then the 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 uh, the evidence that that this is. a a supernatural document that this isn't like Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer or Shakespeare, that there's something different even about so-called holy books like the Upanishads or the Vedas or, or other holy books, uh, alleged holy books like the Quran. I would say, what is it about this book that makes it different from every other book? And that is of course it claims to be a book that comes from God. Well, the Quran makes that claim as well. Um, uh, Joseph Smith has the Book of Mormon, and they claim that their book came from God. So how in the world, to your point, how do we know which book is which book and and what would serve as a substantial reason to believe one over the other? Well, um, the, the, the three things that I would point to are manuscripts, archaeology, and prophecy, okay? In other words... If you look at the manuscripts of other so-called holy books, if you look at the archaeology surrounding those books, and if you look at the prophecies, one, of the, one thing about the Bible that's so amazing is almost one out of every three verses in this Bible has, is prophetic in nature. And, and so it makes a lot of statements about itself. And then I would go on and I would say other books may have said, you know, I read this book and it changed my life. I read Nietzsche and it changed my life, or I read Shakespeare, and it changed my life. But what is it about the Bible that changes people in such a substantial way that they're forever changed? How do you explain that? And so those are just some of the kind of ways that I would be thinking about it. Okay. Yeah, you know, and they
2: the doubters say the Nicene Creed and the, the Bible being compiled in some 75 or 100 A.D., and why did it take so long from, you know, Paul's letters to to be compiled? So, I mean, these are just the naysayers. I believe in the Bible. I read it, and I, uh, I know because I get the feeling of my answered prayers.
1: And part of what I would say to that kind of a, a statement is I would say, hey, do you know how long after uh, Plato wrote um, – the Republic or after Julius Caesar wrote, um, the Gaelic Wars. Uh, If you look at any book from history and we look at the period of time between, uh, the content and the manuscripts that are available, you, you say, why did it take so long? Well, um, do you understand how a book is written and then, uh, circulates and then is preserved and then, and then transmitted. So I would say all of those things are really, really important questions. And there are answers to all of these questions, by the way, people have devoted their lives to answering these questions. And I would say, if you're Uh, really interested in about the origin and the preservation of the Bible, can I make a couple of recommendations to you? Um, about what to read in order to find out more about that. And you know what sure. it's an old book that's, that that was written when I was in college almost, you know, 40 over 40 years ago. The evidence that demands a verdict becomes still a, a great book to help people understand and answer some of those questions that you're asking.
2: Okay, okay, good. Ready. Um is
1: it possible for
2: me to ask one more question that I I've had. I, I don't get to Denver very much, but I.
1: Yeah, you know, just, we've only uh, got about thirty seconds. You can ask the question, but I may not have time to answer it. But unless, okay.
2: you, um, if, yeah, if uh, Jesus Christ was the son of Abraham through Jacob and the whole uh, line there, um, did he? Does that include Joseph or was Mary? Or, since it was a macleod conception, yeah. Both. How both does that of lineage the, go? Y-
1: yeah, if you hold oh. on, if, you, if you're capable oh. of holding on. Uh, Hold on, I'll I'll, I'll give you the answer, but it's found in Matthew and Luke in the genealogies.
2: Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I'll wait. I'll just pull over before I go over the mountains.
1: All right. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci, so glad you could join me. I've been talking with Jason. Again, I want to give out the number real quick, 303-873-1935. But before we went to the break, you asked me another question. Um, about genealogies, and you you basically preface the question about promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, and then you ask about the genealogies of of Mary. Is that right? Yes. Uh, so, just exactly. So, Is so, uh, Mary and
2: Joseph both from that genealogy?
1: The, the answer is yes. In other words, the, and that's the meaning and the importance of the genealogy. In other words, in order for Jesus to be considered both the heir to the promise of David, he has to be a direct descendant of David. And so is Jesus a direct descendant of David? And and the Bible's answer is biologically, yes, through Mary, but also through law, through Joseph. In other words, in the ancient world, a person could adopt a person, and then they would be the heir to the adoption. And so is Joseph uh, Jesus' biological father? No. Is Mary... Jesus's biological mother the answer is yes so he is king of the jews biologically through mary and and legally through joseph so so some of the Very notable so, so that's that's the reason why you have two different genealogies and so one relates to mary and the other relates to joseph but Thank in order to, yeah, yeah in order to be the king he has to have the king's credentials and so imagine like in the line of succession right now like um king charles okay um mary excuse me elizabeth's son why does he get to be the king of england and nobody else gets to be the king of england because he has the authority biologically as the heir to the throne and so they have a lineage succession plan but in in the in the ancient world that was also true I hope that helps
2: yep thank you very much it's been a long question for me
1: <laughs> okay you have fun okay all right. You have one up the mountains. All right. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. That's the number. And like so often, uh, Jim, on this program, when I'm answering people's questions or thinking about their questions, you know, it begs all kinds of questions. Obviously, about the genealogy in the Bible, and um, how do we think about Mary's lineage, and how do we think about Joseph's genealogy, and then how do we even answer the question, why were genealogy so important to to uh, to the people of Israel? And I'm happy to to think about that and talk about that. 303-873-1935. At some point, I also do want to get to Jim Dennison's article, which is pretty impressive because, again, we're dealing with um, – you know, some of the current events. But again, if you'd like to join me on Tough Question Tuesday, it's 303-873-1935. Just very quickly, um, family lists and genealogies are a prominent part of different parts of the Bibles, like First and Second Chronicles and other Old Testament books. These genealogies were important to Israel. And it's also, you have to remember, the Jewish people kept very accurate meticulous records you'll remember in the new testament when paul is talking about that he is a jew of the tribe of benjamin and then he put puts forth his bona fides his his qualifications for being a jew so one reason family history was so important to israel is that it provided an identity as a jew And a partaker of the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And of course, as you go down the line from a promise standpoint of Judah and David. So if a person wasn't a Jew, he or she couldn't truly be a Jewish citizen and participate in all aspects of Jewish life and culture. However... There were ways that people could be identified as a Jew throughout the Old Testament if you were a part of a Jewish household and you became a part of that household and you identified as part of that household. So it's not safe to say that all genetically or biologically uh, people um, are direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's just not true. But it is true that family history and tribal inheritance was based on which family you were in. And so, genealogies were important for tribal inheritance, and genealogies were important. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with my messenger, so I'm distracted a little bit here, but let me see if I can get back on track. Genealogies were essential to proving whether um, you could get your inheritance, but it was also important concerning the Levitical priesthood. Priests could only come from the tribe of Levi and the descendants of Aaron, who was the brother of Moses. If a man couldn't prove that connection, that person couldn't serve as a priest. And so a person's family history also is shown with people of significance. So imagine you are the direct descendant of somebody famous somebody in history like Benjamin Franklin or John Adams or Wyatt Earp. And so in the same way, uh, a Jew descended from someone like Moses or Gideon was considered to be a significant blessing. And so genealogies emphasize the importance of the family in the Jewish culture and traditional Jewish culture emphasized marriage between a man and a woman. And the man and the woman was responsible for raising children and continuing the legacy of the family. And so the Jews took seriously their responsibility to continue the line that would bring honor to the family name. And finally, the genealogies of the Jews were important in order to trace the line of the Messiah. And that was something that I sort of hinted at. Um, When I was talking with Jason and I said, in order for Jesus to be the Jewish Messiah, he had to have the appropriate credentials. And so that becomes another way of determining the true Messiah from the false Messiah. And so the Old Testament made it clear that the Messiah would be from the son of David and so records of family history were vital. Matthew and Luke both include the genealogies of Jesus in their Gospels to show the connection of the Lord Jesus to his, to his famous father, David. So Matthew's Gospel, written for Jews, traces gene, Jesus' genealogy to Abraham. Luke's gospel, which is written for the Gentiles in part, traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. So, in order to be king, he has to be the son of David. In order to be the Messiah, (laughs) as crazy as this sounds, he had to be a human being. 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. Hey, the number is 303-873-1935. Happy to take your call. 303-873-1935 on Tough Question Tuesday. And... I was talking about, I haven't had a chance to talk about many of the articles that have been posted by Jim Denison at the Denison Forum over the last several days. But today's article um, that he's published both at Christian Headlines and at the Denison Forum, he talks about, um, he revisits the Hamas attack on civilians in Israel And, of course, we're looking at a month now. And I'm remembering back when we were uh, a month into the Ukraine and Russian conflict. And when the news broke, he talks about who would have guessed the horrific atrocities that would provoke such profound animosity. What was surprising to Jim Dennison was that the animosity wasn't directed towards Hamas, the perpetrators. But the animosity was directed against the Jews, who they wanted to kill. And so many, many people obviously don't see this conflict in terms of black and white, They don't see it in terms of, well, Hamas is the monster and Israel is the victim. Now, imagine you're living in a world where Hamas becomes the savior and the hero and Israel's the monster. That's what he was trying to struggle with. And he talked about how Cornell University canceled all classes recently after a student was arrested. What was the student's crime? Threatening violent attacks against Jewish students on the campus. And there seems to have been an increasing police presence on campus since the threats were made. After Harvard alumni and hedge fund manager Bill Ackman. Aikman met with students and faculty last week. He described anti-Semitism on campus as much worse than he realized, saying Jewish students are being bullied, physically intimidated, spit on, and in several widely disseminated videos of one such incident, physically assaulted. Just yesterday in Los Angeles, a Jewish man was beaten to death by a Hamas protester. And the Anti-Defamation League has documented nearly 400% rise in anti-Semitic incidents since October 7th. Now, think about that on November 7th. And as part of the escalation, it reports 54 anti-Semitic incidents at American universities, which, of course, what Jim Dennison basically ask the question, how do you explain this? How do you explain what he calls anti-Semitism on our college campuses, which I prefer to call Jew hatred? How did this happen? And he points out that protests against Israel isn't novel. It isn't something new. For example, a movement to boycott, divest from, sanction Israel has been popular on college campuses since it was launched in 2005. Do the math. Fast forward to 2015. Fast forward to 2023. We're talking about, well, 17 years. Opposition to Israel escalated after Hamas's invasion on October 7th even before israel began a military response and in the weeks since such opposition has become overwhelming you know it's interesting to me that when the, the this president op, opened the borders to the south there was no left wing protest when when you think about what's happening and you think about people's response i i am the first to suggest to you that this is complex it's a complex issue and many people don't have a what i would call a robust understanding of the middle east or of israel um Jim Dennison points out that the original owners of the land were Canaanites, from whom Jews conquered the region under Joshua. And the descendants now live in Lebanon, and they bear no genealogical relationship to the Palestinians. Present-day Palestinians are descendants of the Arabs, who first conquered the land in 640 A.D., not the Philistines for whom the land is named, which goes back back prior uh, to the time of the Joshua's conquest, the time of the judges um, going forward all the way to the time of, of um, Saul and David and Solomon. So Arab Muslims took the land from the Jews and the Christians who lived there prior to that conquest. And since the time of joshua there's always been a jewish presence in the land jews repopulated alongside arab palestinians in recent centuries an autonomous mandate called palestine would have been created by the united nations in 1947 but the arab leaders rejected it and in 1948 A combined army of Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon attempted to kill the newborn state of Israel and was unsuccessful. And so when people say they stole the land, the Arab leaders told the Arab occupants, We're going to kick the Jews out. We are going to take back the land. And so in order to not get hurt in the war, you should probably leave. And then after we've killed all the Jews, you can come back and and reclaim your land. So for the person who argues that Israel stole the land from its rightful Palestinian owners, That's not exactly true. So, how far do you want to play this game? If anything, the Arab ancestors stole it from the Jews who were there prior to AD 640. Now, again, there were occupants coming in and out after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by the Romans, and there was a Jewish diaspora. Then many Jews returned to the land in 131 to 134 AD where another million Jews were killed by Hadrian in the uprising of Bar Kokhba and there was yet another diaspora of the Jews. But then the Jews came back again. And again, many media outlets have pointed out that Hamas is using the Palestinian population as human shields. And people have said, What human shields? What human shields? Well, when you take civilians and innocents and hide behind them so that the enemy won't shoot at you, that's the very definition of a human shield. Hiding soldiers and weapons in tunnels beneath hospitals, schools, and mosques is going to create many, many problems. By the way, I'll have some more information when we come back. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on Top Question Tuesday. The number 303 Eight seven I've been talking a little bit about um, Jim Dennison's article at ChristianHeadlines.com and the Denison Forum where he, the headline reads Verifying Absolute Truth Before Joining in the, the Protest, where he's trying to educate people and he is um, letting – people giving them a little history lesson and then trying to factor in some things. Now I was, I was talking a little bit about the terror tunnels in Gaza and some people have worked out the math. And, and if you took all of the money that was used to build the terror tunnels, what could you build? Well, Jim Dennison says this. He said, quote, now obviously in Hamas they don't have building instructors and and they don't have building inspection. But if you were to take it, it, it says, he says, when you think about the tunnels and the weapons beneath hospitals, schools, and mosques, He said, just one, this is just one tunnel. Listen carefully. Just one tunnel requires enough construction materials to build 86 homes, seven mosques, six schools, or 19 medical facilities. That's just for one. How many terror tunnels do you suppose there are? Do you think there's only one? Do you think there's 10? Do you think there's 20? Do you think there's 100? How many are there? Hamas continues to steal fuel and medical supplies and provisions that were intended for the civilian population. So imagine you have a humanitarian pause in order to provide provisions, and then Hamas takes it. Israel has to respond to the atrocities. In order for their citizens to be able to live in their own land. I don't think we understand that completely and fully. Yes, a million Palestinians have been displaced. But did you know that 300,000 Israelis have been displaced from both the north and the south? They've had to flee to a place where they will be safe. And how many Israeli citizens do you think are going to live next to Gaza? And how many citizens do you think are going to live next to Lebanon when every day they live in fear that a rocket or a bullet is going to end their life? However, ceasefire being demanded on college campuses would enable Hamas to strengthen its position in Gaza And as the Wall Street Journal noted, quote, no other country on earth would agree to the terms of defensive engagement that much of the world wants to impose on Israel, unquote. So you can see there's two simple but erroneous concepts. The first, that Israel is an occupying colonizer and an oppressor of the Palestinians, that's inflaming opposition to Jews on college campuses and across America. And they illustrate the fact that ideas, whether right or wrong, change the world. I have had limited experience with people who've lived under communism. I've been to some fairly robust socialist states. I have been to Yad Vashem, not once, not twice, at least three times. It's the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And I've seen the video footage and the evidence of the mass attempt to eliminate the Jewish people and the evidence that Hitler blamed the Jews for Germany's decline. And it was for that reason, not the only reason, but it was for that reason that the Jews didn't just have to be driven out. They had to be murdered. They had to be murdered. And of course, part of the problem that we have in the United States of America is woke ideology and the abandonment of absolutes and the embracing of moral relativism, which is metastasized in our culture. C.S. Lewis warned in his 1943 work Abolition of Man that abandoning objective values based on unchanging principles would lead to our decline and the abolition as he called it that's why it was called the Abolition of Man the abolition as humans he isn't arguing that human beings will cease to be human beings our definition of what it means to be human would fundamentally change. So we're back to what I talked about yesterday. A survey was done where some 40% of the people in the United States of America believe that human beings are made in the image of God and did not, I repeat, did not evolve from lower life forms. There was about, I want to say it was close to maybe another 27% that believed that we evolved from lower life forms, but that God guided the process in what might be called theistic evolution. But there's a growing group of people who believe that human beings are the product of unguided processes over millions of years. And there are people who believe that if you believe the Bible and what the Bible says about what it means to be a human being made in the image of God, that at worst, you're an idiot, and at best, you're deeply, deeply deceived. So what happens when they embrace the view that whatever it means to be human is an artificial construct. It's a social or a cultural or an ideological construct. Well, in that kind of a world, a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. In that kind of a world, marriage can be between a man and several women or two women or your next-door neighbor or the football team We're watching Lewis's prophecy come to pass each and every day. And this is why God's admonition is so urgent. These are the things that you shall do. In Zechariah 8.16, it says, this is what you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and that make for peace. That's in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. Said differently, we contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is Gina Dracy. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back. In just a few.